Hello and welcome back to another episode of Off the Waivers. I am your host, James Andrews, joined by my co-host, Eric Barnes. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, James. Uh, you know, it's been a lot, long week, a lot of basketball, um, and I'm excited to get into it. Same as well from here. Uh, so when we started off the show last week, we talked about one of the big storylines, and that was the Lakers seem to be back after dropping game one to the Phoenix Suns. They won games two and three to take a 2-1 series lead. They looked to be in control, and the world champions looked to be back on top until they weren't. They lost the next three straight games, and now it went from, is it even possible for the Suns to win, to the Suns easily were able to defeat the Lakers in six games. The last two games weren't even close. They were blowouts, pretty much over by halftime, if not even in the second quarter. LeBron kind of looked washed. AD got hurt and wasn't able to stay much on, on the court for much of game six. Uh, so the Suns are going to advance. Do you think this was more about a Lakers loss of the Lakers just not being there, or do you think the Suns went out and just won this series? Um, I thought from the beginning that uh, when the Suns were healthy here, that they would be a team that would compete with the Lakers. And I saw that this could have been a possibility. I think the huge thing, and I think a lot of people will say this, is that uh, Anthony Davis, is, uh, his health that uh, really impacted or really swung this series. But I think that the Suns team is just really, really good and that they would have been here in this situation or conversation um, regardless. I think they were just a little bit helped by the fact that um, after Anthony Davis kind of got hurt, um, LeBron was coasting out there, uh, and the, his supporting cash just wasn't there. Like Dennis Schroeder, he just really wasn't in it. They had Andre Drummond, who was getting kind of coach decision DMPs. So, I mean, I think that uh, it was really just a case of once Anthony Davis kind of went out, LeBron looked around, saw his is uh his team it was just like uh if they have a little fight then i'll, I'll you know i'll put some wear and tear under these onto his wheels but um that didn't really happen so he was just kind of coasting there and you know you can't really coast against this sun's team because like i said i think they're really good yeah and i think you kind of started touching on the big point and that was lebron just wasn't fully involved in this series he still went out there and was dropping close to 25 points every single game on his typical seven or eight assists, but it just didn't feel like enough from him because this Lakers team, it just it wasn't as good as the team from last year that was in the bubble, even though it's much of the same guys. They just didn't perform up to the same level. And when his supporting cast just isn't there, LeBron probably isn't going to go very hard if he doesn't have another superstar next to him. And obviously the Lakers didn't have a second superstar for this entire series because AD, except for maybe in one game of the series, just wasn't able to play up to that level level but <clears throat> still it comes down to LeBron James still needs to set the tone there were two, I think at least two games in this series that resulted in blowouts and he ended up leaving the arena early there were just bad defensive plays where he's just caught standing around not really doing anything not boxing out not going for a rebound not guarding anybody so I you know I me mean? you can seriously question how much LeBron actually wanted it and then the big thing was after the game when he was asked about whether or not he would play for the Olympic team he said no I'm team Space Jam so I think it's pretty clear where his priorities are at at this point. He's just kind of relaxing in L.A. He's making his movie, getting all of his endorsements, uh, making the money. Do you think we're still going to see another big push from LeBron here in the future, or do you think this is going to be kind of the wind down of his career? I think that we are seeing the wind down of his career, and it's shocking, and you know it was about time. 
I think that like looking around and watching these playoffs, uh, it really is showing a with all the young guys that are popping out of transition period in the NBA. I think that um, the time of LeBron uh, being on top, I think people are getting a little worn down with it. And I think he himself, like you said, he's a, I think he's at a different point in his career. I mean, it's like if his team's good, he will fight for a championship, but it's not the top priority. I think he's worried about, um, you know, just enjoying his life and building his brand, which he should be. That's totally fair. He's done enough to solidify himself as one of the best players of all time, and no one can take that away from him. Uh, but he just clearly wasn't in this series, and, you know, maybe the – a little Mickey thing was there. Maybe it wasn't, but at the end of the day, he won in the bubble. They, he won a championship in LA already. Um, you know, for his first couple of years, that should be enough to hold the Lakers fans over. You can't satisfy them, but I mean, he did his best. This series, he wasn't his best. And, you know, the Suns took advantage of that. Um, but like I said, I mean, he's just focused on his other things, so it shouldn't be a problem. I'm focused on what the Suns can do uh, for the rest of these playoffs because they look dangerous. Yeah, they do. And we're going to talk about the Suns a little bit more here in a bit after we get uh, done recapping the uh, Denver Nuggets Portland Trailblazers series. And then we can do a series preview on that. But just finishing up here on the Lakers, I think they did have a little bit of a Mickey Mouse uh, chip last year uh, that kind of happened in the bubble. Not that they didn't go hard, <clears throat> go there, work hard and earn it and, fi- and just do everything that had to be done in the pandemic world to win that ring so it's still very impressive but the thing is that I look at I think this Phoenix Suns team last night was better than any team the Lakers actually played in the bubble because they never had to face the Clippers obviously that's not their fault but they played teams that were kind of hurt worn down in the Blazers and the Rockets and then they played a Denver Nuggets team that was completely gassed from having to come back down 3-1 twice and they were pretty much out of it at that point and then they played the Miami Heat who had two of their three best players go down on the first game of the series. So I feel like the Lakers never just got that top tier competition right out or at any point last year in the playoffs, which is why they were pretty much easily able to win the ring. I mean, LeBron was never really challenged at all last year in the playoffs. And so this year he comes in and he's being tested with a very tough Phoenix Suns team right out the gate and they just weren't able to get it done. But moving on here, the other series happened in the West that ended a couple of nights ago was the Denver Nuggets uh, beat out the Portland Trail Blazers in a high-octane, just a, a torch match of a series where both teams were just going back and forth offensively. It was tied 2-2 at one point, then Denver won games five and game six to close it out. What did you think of that series? I thought that, shock. I mean, it, not shockingly, because we knew that Damon uh, Jokic was going to be fun, but shockingly, it became probably the best series of the first round. Um, and I know Mavericks and Clippers uh, are going to seven now, but I think this one was the best series of the first round. The the back and forth blows, the differences of the supporting cast. Um, it was really enjoyable to watch. Like You knew that Jokic was just, Jokic and Dame were going to get their points. Jokic was just going to dominate. Um, but then it was fun to watch players like Michael Porter Jr., who I think is really like been consistent this series. His shot selection's been a lot better. And he's one of those guys, he's got a shot where every time he puts it up, it looks like it's gonna go in. And it's been really fun to watch him. Austin Rivers has been crazy this series when he's a guy that just picked up off the waivers like a, a month or so ago. So, you know, I it's really cool to see all these guys, you know, making a huge impact. Um and where they could go from there. And then for Portland, um, they put up a huge fight 
but then it kind of signal signals like a change in their uh and their like um team as well for the future because they weren't good enough to beat this Denver team. Um so what they have to do. So there's a lot of like working things that happened throughout the series and a lot of different storylines and I just thought it was really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I agree with you. Game for game, I thought this was the best series of the first round as well. Uh, starting here with the Portland Trailblazers, they they are a really good team with a lot of talent. Obviously, they have Damon CJ, but they're going to have some, have to switch some stuff up in the future if they want to be a legitimate contender. And the problem has just been their defense. They really just can't guard anybody out there. And in, it, that starts with interior and defense. That's what's most important. And they didn't have anybody they can put on Jokic, and that's why they lost this series. Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor just cannot get it done at the center position. So they're going to have to look to bring somebody in to maybe fill that void because Nurkic hasn't been the guy that they kind of expected when they they traded for him several years ago and the Blazers already fired their head coach Terry Stotts I think that was a move that needed to be done that's a change in the right direction to fix their defense but the problem is now Damian Lillard wants input on the next head coach and if I had to put money on it right now I would say it's going to either be Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups maybe getting a look at that next head coaching gig and we know Damian Lillard came out and said he really wants Jason Kidd and he's going to be also involved in other offseason moves and he could be the one potentially greenlighting a C.J. McCollum trade if that's the direction the front office thinks they, they should go in. But the Denver Nuggets, they proved that they could win a playoff series without Jamal Murray. Um, MPJ went hard, as you mentioned. I think in Game 6 he had, what, like 22 points in the first quarter and like didn't miss a shot. He was, he was crazy out there. The way, he, the way he's shooting the three ball right now is just kind of unheard of. Uh, the fact that he's shooting it over 50% and taking some tough shots with it. He's certainly proving me wrong at times, but the only thing is with MPJ is he does tend to disappear on the court sometimes. I think he still finished that game under 30 points, if I'm correct. And so you, you can't really have that big of an offensive production in the first quarter and then kind of tail off when your team still needed you. That's true. I think that is a valid criticism of his game. I mean, he's still pretty young and he's still kind of figuring it out what his role is on this roster. But I mean, ideally, he's still getting his getting his points and he's um, producing at both ends of the court right now, which is exactly what the Nuggets need. And then uh, on the Blazers topic, I mean, it is going to be interesting. You said they already fired their head coach um, last night, and then. Uh, and then CJ, a CJ McCollum move is almost like deemed destined at this point. Uh, so it'll be really interesting. I think it'll probably go down the route of the Houston Rockets just two years ago, where they'll probably try and move CJ coming in, run it back with a little bit of a different group. And ultimately, it probably won't work out. And we might see a Dame trade in just a year or so. And maybe um, just a full teardown. Because I think at this point, I mean, you have Dame Lord, who's one of the top 10 best players in the NBA. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it just doesn't get it done. So maybe it's very soon that we'll be seeing them move in a different direction. So you don't think there's any chance this could be a Toronto Raptors situation where they move one piece of their star-studded backcourt and then, every boom, everything ultimately clicks? No, because I don't think you're going to get a Kawhi Leonard-type player for C.J. McCollum. I just don't think that trade value is there, and definitely at his age. Uh, and, I mean, I you have to find the right players to put around Dame, because Dame, will, he will carry you. But, um, like you said, they they have a lot of issues. Like, Yusuf Nurkic and uh, Ennis Cantor are really not going to get it done for you. Um, he, you could, Yufis Nurkic, or Yufis... <laughs> 
Nurkic can get it done at some level, at a decent level, but he's his health concerns are too worrying for me. And then CJ McCollum, he can get it done too. But at the end of the day, we've seen Damon CJ is not enough to get you to the finals, especially at, at um their considered peaks. So I, I think there's moves to be made. I'm not sure if Jason Kidd's the right head coach, but if Dame wants them, then that's probably the direction they will go. So I, I personally think we're heading towards a um, a blow up, um, and that's just my opinion. And I think we're it's far, uh, closer than it might appear. Yeah, I I think it definitely could happen, but I think if they are able to bring in a good head coach, that's really that can really change the culture. I think that they could probably hang on to Dame and compete for several more years, maybe even keep him for the rest of his career. But I agree with you, Jason Kidd has gotten two head coaching opportunities in the NBA before, and neither one really worked out in the past. His most his best coaching moment was just when he spilled his drink on the court just to get an extra timeout, and that pretty much says all you need to know about Jason Kidd's coaching career. Uh, but moving on here to the Looking at the preview of the Denver Nuggets Phoenix Suns series, the Suns just, like we mentioned, look like an absolutely great team in the first round series against the Lakers. Uh, the Nuggets looked very good as well, but I think the Suns have an extra defensive gear that they can go to, which really helps you deep into the playoffs. And so for now, I think I have the Suns favored, and pretty much everybody has the Suns favored over the Nuggets here. Uh, do you think the Nuggets can compete? And uh, how many games should we look to expect this series to go? I think the Nuggets, um, I mean, they're a little frisky, they're a little pesky. I think that um, Jokic will probably still dominate this series. I saw DeAndre Aiden go to a, a kind of new gear um, in this first round. I mean, people were thinking, well, they had Anthony Davis. He's not going to be able to show on. Yeah, Anthony Davis was in and out. He was uh, unhealthy throughout the series. But um, I, I think Aiden really, you know, he stood up and he showed some sort of defensive fight. Um, so I think that could be interesting to see what DeAndre Hayden does against the, um, what it seems to be the league MVP in Nikola Jokic. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. But after that, I think that the Suns backcourt, um, is a little overwhelming for this Nuggets roster. Um, uh, I think that Damon or Devin Booker is going to absolutely dominate this series. And then Chris Paul, if he can be fully healthy, will help swing it as well. So I will also say the Suns are favored and I want to go maybe five or six. I, I you know, I want to say they'll probably be six because I think the Nuggets are good enough to go there. I don't think this will go seven. So I'm going to go six just to be safe. But I had the Suns going farther. Uh, I agree series. with that. My official pick for the series is Suns and six. I think the Nuggets can definitely take it there, but I think they'll, they'll need some luck and some heroic performances along the way to kind of take it there. I just think the Suns' defense is a lot better than the Nuggets right mm-hmm. now because the Suns' the Lakers were playing a very well uh, defensive series until the Lakers kind of fell apart there at the end. The Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers were doing exactly the opposite. They, they were just going back and forth in a high-scoring affair. Um, but so I, but I think the key is that t- these teams are built very differently. The Nuggets are a strong front court team, not only with uh, Nikola Jokic at center, of course, but then Aaron Gordon at power forward and Michael Porter Jr. at small forward. That is their strength of their team. And that's where the bulk of their scoring comes from. And then you mentioned the Phoenix Suns are the exact opposite. They have their strong backcourt with Chris Paul and Devin Booker that lead the way for them. So I think it's going to be an interesting matchup there. But also I'm curious to see who the best player in this series is. I I somewhat expect it to be Devin Booker. And that's not a knock on Jokic because he's easily one of the best players in the NBA right now. And he might be the best overall player in the series. But when it comes down to it, when you really need 40 out of somebody, I think Book is going to step up and be that guy. 
I think Book has really just been dominant so far this playoffs. And he really he came into that game six in LA and he meant business and he out the gate was just on fire and at a different level. So I think you might be on there on the right track as uh Nicole Jokic might be the overall best player in this series, but the best player um in this little bubble will probably be uh Devin Booker. Because he can be a guy who will absolutely swing the series for the Suns. Yeah, and Devin Booker might just be getting started as well because uh, the Lakers were still the number one defensive team in the NBA in the entire regular season, and now it's with LeBron James and Anthony Davis hurt for a lot of it. So they were still one of the best defensive teams, and so now I think it's only going to get easier for Devin Booker in a sense as the playoffs continue. You mean I don't know who the Nuggets really have to go out and harass them on the perimeter. They'll throw a bunch of different bodies on them. They'll throw Rivers, Campazzo on them. They'll try MPJ on them just to put some. Height, but you know, I mean, I do think that it's going this series is going to be a lot easier for Devin Booker than the last one was. Uh, he's probably not going to see as many double teams, and if he does, he'll have an easier time uh, getting out of the trap and just giving it to Chris Paul and let him work. But I think as long as Chris Paul is healthy, the Suns are a legitimate contender to go to the finals and maybe even win it. You I mean, as long as you get there, anybody can win. What do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I think. I, the West is wide open now because I think we, well, both of us had the Lakers, I'm pretty sure. So I would say that most people have the Lakers. Now that they're out, I mean, anything can happen. I think the Suns looks, the Suns look poised to make a finals run. Um, and I don't see why they couldn't. The Jazz are still really, um, undervalued, but we haven't, again, haven't really seen them in a difficult series where people believe in them so we'll see what happens when they uh ultimately face either the Mavericks Mavericks or the Clippers um in the next round but I think the Suns team is built to win and I don't know if they would it didn't if they faced like the Nets or the Bucks it how they would match up there but they look really good so I mean I don't see any reason why they couldn't make the finals Exactly. With the Lakers gone, I mean, it's anybody's game out there in the West. The Clippers or Mavericks, you mean, could come out of the series uh, red hot and battle tested now and could take it. But you mean, all four or all three other teams left in it are still uh, very much contenders to win it. And my pick going into the playoffs was the Jazz, so they're still very much alive. And I'm still going to ride that pick out to have them beat the Clippers and then ultimately make it to the finals. But I also think a, uh, the Suns isn't a bad pick here. And my preseason pick as well was the Clippers and the Bucks meeting up in the finals. So uh, there are a lot of things that's still on the table that could happen. But moving on here to the last remaining uh, first-round series, it's the only one to go to seven games. That's the Dallas Mavericks versus the Los Angeles Clippers. These two teams obviously met up last year, and it wasn't nearly as close to a series as it was this time. We've talked about all of that. Luka Doncic kind of started going off in Game 6 when his team really needed him at home to close it out, a big one against the Clippers. But then he kind of disappeared for the second, third, and fourth quarter. And even though he finished with 29 points, he was only on 11 of 24 shooting, not his best night, and not the aggressive night we usually see from him. And then on the other side, Kawhi was magical, going for 45 points on 72% shooting from the floor. 72% shooting. That put him in Wilt Chamberlain uh, category with that shooting performance from that night. Uh, What do you think is going to happen here in Game 7 of the series? Um, First of all, I need to apologize to this Clippers team so far because after two games, I said the series was over. (laughs) And it very much wasn't, which was was a shock to me. Um, Luka, 
Uh, it was a little having a little, I think, neck stiffness that was kind of bothering him. But I mean, he still did his best. Twenty nine is nothing to scoff at in this series. But like you said, Kawhi Leonard last night was just absolutely unreal. Um, and I think that that air ball and Ronda really getting into him, I think maybe maybe sparked something in him because that was definitely a. Uh, a player that was more so on the side of what we saw in game two when everybody was sh- was shooting the lights out, but just at a different peak and when the Mavericks weren't um, shooting the lights out like they were in game two. So I think um, game seven is going to be really interesting to watch because it could be back and forth. It depends on how both teams are going to be shooting because I think they are really evenly matched and that's why we're here. Um, if Luca can be fully healthy, if he can have one of his Luca games, if Kawhi has one of his Kawhi games, I think that this will be a great, great game seven. And um, for our first game seven of the playoffs, I mean, it should be should be a good one. So I I would say I still have the Mavs going for for me in game seven. Uh, I still believe in Luca, um, his supporting cast. If they can do well like they have been this series. I believe in that, and I think that there is some potential for them to make rumbles. But, I mean, I think the Clippers are the pick that everybody else wants to go with because they want to see the Clippers move on, especially with the Lakers out now. Yeah, it's the popular pick, but I'm going to stick with the Clippers as well. They were my pick coming into the series, and then I stuck with them when they were down 0-2. I said the Clippers are still going to come back and win this series, even when it didn't look like they were going to be able to. But the best player in this series has just completely switched game to game from Luka to Kawhi. So it really is just going to be a matter of which one of those two do come out and be the best and put up the most points on the best shooting in Game 7. But also just the strategy, too. I'm not sure what the Mavericks head coach Rick Carlisle was thinking in Game 6. One of the reasons they were largely able to stop Kawhi in Game 5 was that they were sending him double teams almost every single time. And that's one aspect of Kawhi Leonard's game that he really needs to improve on is his passing out of double teams, recognizing them, and then knowing where to go with the basketball. A lot of times he just makes whichever first the first available pass he sees, and it doesn't always put his team in the best position to then create a shot afterwards, and then their offense goes stagnant. But in Game 6, they didn't do that. They just played one-on-one coverage the entire time. So Kawhi was just uh, going down the court, getting the calling for a screen, getting the mismatch he wanted on Luka Doncic, and then he was just taking advantage of it every single time. I thought the Mavericks' defense on Kawhi was just absolutely pathetic. There were times where they were still sagging a foot or two off of him on his mid-range, and then, of course, Kawhi Leonard just rose up and just hit it right over him like he's going to do every single time. If you're going to give him space from the mid-range, that just doesn't make any sense. And then even after he really started getting going and getting hot, they still weren't even respecting his three ball like they should have. They were still uh, leaving a step or two as you have to throw it every time and you have good defensive rotations after that as well. So you mean I I'm picking the Clippers, but I'm hesitant because I'm just not sure what the defensive strategies of the coaches will be. And I think ultimately that'll probably decide the game. So that was a lot here, but now we're going to move into the Eastern Conference. We have the Atlanta Hawks, who we both picked to beat the Knicks, and we both kind of said it could be a lot shorter of a series than people expected. We're able to win in five. Trey Young silenced all the doubters and made it known to all of his haters that he's here and he's legit, something he's been doing in high school and college mostly because he's never actually had any hair, so he's always had to play the villain role. But they're going to go up against the Philadelphia 76ers, who were unfortunately able to beat the Wizards in Game 5, even without Joel Embiid, because that's that's how bad the Washington Wizards have looked the past couple of weeks. 
but <clears throat> they'll play the 76ers. Embiid's health is still kind of up in the air right now, so I think that's not unsure. So what do you think about that series? Do you think the Hawks stand a chance if Embiid plays, and do you think it'll still be a tight series if, if Embiid does not play? Um, I think it could be a series if Embiid is healthy. I mean, I think the Hawks have kind of the I mean it's hard to say that with um how good and beat is but the Hawks have kind of the, the team defensively to um give and beat some issues and then I think that uh their supporting cast or wing players could really make a difference in this series because I I don't think Trey Young will have the same um the same series that he did against the Knicks because just because of the defensive um roster or players that um the Sixers can throw at him but I think that the Sixers, uh, when healthy, should win this series. And if, if Embiid is not there, it may be a lot closer than people think. Yeah, I mean, the Hawks are a, a really good team, and we love them because of the offensive firepower they have to still go along with the good defensive fundamentals as well. <clears throat> but the thing with the 76ers is, man, is their defense good. They play some stingy defense, even without Embiid. There is their rim protector. With Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibault on the court at the same time, they are hard to score on. They just they get after you. They'll double. They always have hands in the passing lanes. They make it very difficult. So I think even if Embiid isn't there, the um, Philadelphia will definitely compete in the series because I think their te- defense is just too good uh, to for them to just look silly against anybody. Uh, but I'm just not sure if the Hawks have what it takes to beat the 76ers if Embiid does play. As good as Clint Capella has played, I don't know if his defense is going to be good enough to get it done on Embiid. I think if as long as Embiid is healthy, which uh, again we don't, we have no idea if that's going to be the case or not. After he has a small tear in his meniscus, it just depends on how big that tear actually is and whether or not he can play through the pain. But I don't know if Clint Capella and Wanyeka are good enough um to stop him at the center because he is one of the best players right now, if not the best players left standing in the NBA. And if Tobias Harris and Danny Green and Seth Curry are shooting the way they did in the first round, this is a tough team to beat. And then looking forward to the other series in the Eastern Conference, one that might be the best series in the entirety of the playoffs. The Brooklyn Nets are playing the Milwaukee Bucks. The Nets were able to take down the Celtics in five in the 2-7 matchup. That wasn't too much of a series there. Jason Tatum did go off in one game that was able to win them uh, game three at home. And then the Milwaukee Bucks obviously were able to sweep the Miami Heat, uh, avenging all their demons from last year's uh, tough type loss in the bubble. Uh, so now the Bucks are back into the second round for the first time since 2018-19, where they were obviously able to uh, beat the Celtics in advance to the conference championship. But this is a much tougher matchup here in the Nets. This is honestly might be the two best teams left standing in the NBA going up against each other in the second round. Obviously, the Nets um, boast their big three with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. But the Bucks have a big three of their own of Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo that kind of compares quite favorably to them. Do you think uh, anybody? Do you think this uh, Nets team is too good to be beaten, or do you think the Bucks uh, stand a chance in the series? I think the Bucks definitely stand a chance in this series. I think that the Nets look like they are the team to beat now in the Eastern Conference, especially with Embiid's health. But the Bucks, I think, are the team to beat them. Um, I mean, they have the the size that Brooklyn doesn't. 
Um, they had the the big sick and throw on him. Giannis, I, I think, has dominated this series in the season series. But at the same time, um, the Brooklyn Nets are fully healthy. The big three looks dangerous, although they did just destroy Boston, who has had already some shakeups and is already, you know, not the team that was, you know, they were what they were last year. Um, but I mean, I think that. The big three looks very dangerous, and um, personally, I think that they are the team that will go through here. Um, a lot of people are trying to make the the fun um, Bucks pick um, based on matchups, like I said, with the with the big they can throw on. But I think the Nets are just too overwhelming right now, and I think they're my title favorites right now. The Nets are extremely overwhelming, but I'm going to pick the Bucks here in this one, and it's because of the matchups. I think Giannis can do a great job trying to slow Kevin Durant, but then he could also switch on and be the center, try to guard a big, uh, do whatever it is he needs to do. He could honestly even go out and guard James Harden at times if he has to, but then they also have Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who they can throw at Kyrie and James Harden. I'm not saying they could stop them, but those three guys are as good, better equipped as there is anybody in the league to try to slow down the Nets team. And then the Nets defense, I just don't believe in the Nets' defense because they don't have a center and then they just haven't played together at all all season. So they haven't built any chemistry and they don't have any individual stout defenders either. Joe Harris is probably their best one-on-one perimeter defender. And even he is, I would say, probably average at best. James Harden can be an average perimeter defender as well, but that's only if he's trying his hardest. If he's not trying his hardest on defense, he can range all the way from a mediocre to a very poor defender out there. And Kyrie Irving has never been known for his defense as well. So this, I just don't know if they can get enough stops on the Bucks. Uh, to really let their offense shine and do what they need to do because I think the Bucks are going to four stops and they could put a traditional center in Brooke Lopez in and just run a high-low with Lopez and Giannis, and I'm not sure if the Nets will have any answers for that. So I really like the Bucks in this series. Uh, that's going to start on Saturday night. It'll be the first second-round series to get started, and I think that one is going to be a blast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I don't, I, I, I'm, not, I'm trying to not overthink it a little bit. I think... Um, the, 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 the Bucks have the roster that could beat this Nets team, but at the end of the day, the Nets have James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, along with a very good supporting cast and players like Joe Harris, Blake Griffin. Um, you know, they don't have Jeff Green anymore, but I mean, he, he's a guy that like, this is a good supporting cast that, that I, I don't want to overthink it too much. Green. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I think that the the Nets um are the better team here and that they should move on, but I do not to say that it won't be a good series. Yeah, because uh, I would be more willing to pick the Nets if they did have Jeff Green because he was supposed to be the guy that was going to close games out as their center um, playing a small ball center where he can be a P.J. Tucker type role where uh, he can kind of just sit in the corner and, and bomb up threes. And he's been a very good three-point shooter the last couple of seasons. But uh, without him, I just don't know if the Nets will have uh, be able to have that same impact of a small ball five lineup unless they put Kevin Durant at the center. And I, I just don't think that's going to go very well. I mean, I do do think that uh, as hard as it is to stop Giannis, Kevin Durant's someone that will give him fits defensively. And we saw Kevin Durant when he was one-on-one with Jason Tatum last series. He made his life hell. So, uh, And Jason Tatum was, uh, again, he's an overwhelming player that 
can you know make shots over Kevin Durant. But I mean, most times when he he was just getting switches uh, away from him because Kevin Durant, I think, still is an elite defensive player um, with his length and his ability to you know really just get a hand in your face. And honestly, Giannis obviously Giannis isn't a shooter, but I mean Kevin Durant's not someone he's just gonna be able to blow by. So. I think that'll be a good individual matchup to watch. Um, but outside of that, I, like I said, I think the, the Nets offense is a little more overwhelming. Obviously the Bucks are a very good defense, but I think the Nets will, will break it down. And I, again, I don't, I don't want to overthink this. The Nets have three un, unreal one on one players and, uh, their offense looked really good last series. And I'm going to kind of like go on that. My one question for this series, the thing I'm most curious to look forward to is with five minutes left in the game, if we have a tie game going down the stretch, who's going to take the shots for the Nets? And uh, similarly, who's going to take the shots for the Bucks? Uh, with the Bucks, I like their situation a little bit better because they have Giannis, who they're obviously going to look to create plays for. But you know he's not going to shoot because uh, that's not what he wants to do. He's not a shooter. But now, so that's been a struggle for them in the past. But now they have Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who Drew Holiday is an absolute killer and has uh, closed teams out before in the playoffs. So I think having uh, a two-headed monster of Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday could be good enough to get it done uh, down the stretch late in a close game. I'm not sure who's going to close out games for the Nets, not that they don't have plenty of options there with that big three, but my worry is that in the final two minutes, even if one guy is hot, even if Kyrie Irving is hot, Kevin Durant will try to take a shot, and then James Harden will try to take a shot, and then Kyrie Irving will try to take a shot. Uh, I'm worried it's just going to be too much of a my turn, your turn type of thing instead of uh, running a really clean offense or get, just giving it to the guys that's hot every time. See, that's where I think, again, it's a little overthinking. Uh, with the with the Bucks, I think Chris Middleton's been their closer for a long time. And I don't think there's any like clear question um, on who that is because I think he gets it done. And like you said, Drew Holiday comes in. He's the reason why they brought him in is he can help, you know, close out those games. Uh, and on the Nets side, I think that it is a question. I think they there's a clear understanding between those players that there's a little bit of a hierarchy. And obviously, they're all great players and they all have their own um, their own like, you know, priorities and check. Uh, but I mean, James Harden has come in and he hasn't been an issue at all. He hasn't been that guy who's demanding shots. Uh, he's been just a pure distributor and every time he needs to go one-on-one, he does. Uh, I, I think if they need a bucket desperately, you can look to go to a James Harden, but I don't see the, the, the issue of like, you know, going to Kevin Durant on the normal basis. And then if Kyrie Irving's having one of those classic Kyrie Irving games, then I would go to him every single time down uh, in, a, in the final moment. If he had one of those, because he's hit one of the clutchest shots in NBA history. And when he gets hot, I mean, there's no one who could really stop him. So I would say that the Nets issue is not necessarily that they have too many guys. It's that people are thinking that in those situations, they're just going to, not know how to play when I've seen how them run their offense and play in certain roles this entire playoffs. So I think that necessarily this, this question isn't necessarily, um, who will do it? Cause I think again, it will change based on the situation, but it, it really just shows that they have the guys to close out teams and it really shouldn't be overthought that who will do it matters because at the end of the day, they have three world-class one-on-one guys that can get you a bucket. 
And that just means they have different options to close out games, and it's not going to be just one guy. Yeah, definitely. You made a, gr- a lot of great points with that. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, obviously they do have Kyrie and Kevin Durant, James Harden, who've all played very well and play well with each other. It, obviously, it wasn't enough for them to be able to close out the Wizards in their regular season games against each other, but that doesn't mean they won't be good enough to uh, beat the Bucks. And speaking of the Wizards, we're going to move on, uh, talk about what needs to happen in the future after they got eliminated in the first round by five games. Bradley Beal has never uh, had that happen to him before. The um, the quickest he's ever lost was in six games in the first round, and this is only the second time out of five playoff appearances that they've lost in the first round. So really not what he wants to do, not the, org- not the direction the franchise wants to go in. Uh, Bradley Beal's future with the Wizards is unknown. He really wouldn't uh, speak on that too much. He said it so many times that he wants to be in D.C. and this is where he likes to be and where he wants to play. But at the same time, he's a competitive guy and he wants to win. So I'm not sure how much longer we're going to be able to keep him in D.C., especially if the team just doesn't get any better. I'm just not really sure what the course is for the Washington Wizards to go this offseason. There's a lot of different directions they can go. I know you might have some opinions on this. Obviously, I'm very strong, feel very strongly about some of this stuff. But uh, just real quickly, I'll get your opinions first. What do you think about the future of guys like Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal, even head coach Scott Brooks with the Washington Wizards? Yeah, I mean, the Washington Wizards... They are a team, you know, they got a lot of good pieces. They got a um they made the playoffs this year. Looked good towards the end and I got one answer for you. Blow it up. <laughs> this team needs to be blown up. This is not the roster that's going to win you games. You need to tear it down, start over. Trade Bradley Beal, get a ton of pick swaps. That's what people love these days. Russell Westbrook, I don't know what you're going to get. You're just going to have to run on this contract. Um, I would say that they have a lot of young pieces that I think you could build around. I think if you trade Brad Beal um, to maybe like a Chicago or something like that, you could get maybe a Kobe White, uh, maybe a Larry Market in a sign-and-trade deal. So I think there's a lot of pieces you can get. I mean, there's a lot of good uh, picks you could get from many teams and organizations around the league for Brad Beal. But this Wizards team isn't going to get done. Brad Beal, he's a great player. He's a great um, ambassador for D.C., and that's why he says he loves being there. I have no problem with that, but in the day, he's not going to win there. Um, so I, I think they got to blow it up, and that's just that's my opinion. Uh, take that as you will. Um, as a Wizards fan who's seen a lot of losing over the past couple of years, but um, that's my honest opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a fair opinion. Uh, it's the, something the Wizards are going to take into account this year, this offseason, is to blow it up. I hope there's a chance we can get something for Westbrook somewhere. Maybe there's a YMCA league or something that'll offer us. Uh, maybe a few bags of chips, some maybe some popcorn. That'd be nice. Replace what we lost in the stands. Ah, oh, but God, I don't want to watch Westbrook play for another season, especially if Bradley Beal's not there and we don't have a legitimate shot at winning. Watching Russell Westbrook try to play with the young guys would just be atrocious. And you'll have to find a way to ship him out of there some way because he just does not help develop those guys. And Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia, who are both top 10 picks uh, within the last couple of years of the NBA draft, just were not able to really step up their game this year with Russell Westbrook running the point all the time. So I think if you're going to go in that direction to blow it up, you have to start to feature the, some of the young guys. Denny will be back next year, and Rui will be going into his uh, third or fourth season now with the Wizards. So I think it is important that 
that you start to really have those guys make crucial steps. Rui Hachimura is getting close to being at the point where he can be a legitimate 20 to 22 game scorer in the NBA, and he's already very efficient at it, but he just needs to learn how to continue inserting himself into the game and take more shots. And then I think we just need to kind of trim down our roster and say, who do we like going uh, forward for the future? I think Daniel Gafford is a very good center, someone you would like to keep. I think Howell Neto and Ish Smith are two guards that have probably earned their way on the roster for at least the next season or two. But you're going to have to cut some of the dead weight, like centers Alex Len and Robin Lopez, who just weren't getting it done for the most part of the season, even though Robin Lopez did have some shining moments with his hook shot. I don't think he's going to be someone you want going forward in the future. And even Davis Bertans, obviously we signed him to that big contract, but maybe if you have a chance to move him, uh, maybe you just jump on it and do it because he wasn't that good. And then how much are you really going to need a, a electric shooter off the bench uh, when you're trying to rebuild there? So I think it all depends on what we can get for Beal. If we can get a legitimate superstar package, a James Harden type package for Bradley Beal, then we do it. But if not, you have to hold on to him because you do have him under contract and he is willing to come back and play for the Wizards. So unless he blatantly goes and says, I want out, I want to trade, I think you try to keep him. I, I, but maybe I'm just not sure what you can really bring in at that at this point to compliment those guys. But maybe there is some t- type of third score, uh, two-way wing player that we can get in here and try to compete. But I think ultimately Scott Brooks needs to go. He has not been a very good head coach for the Wizards. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but those were just kind of some my thoughts on it. Trade Beal if you can find the right trade package. Fire Scott Brooks no matter what, and then really let the team uh, let the team feature the young guys first and foremost, and not Russell Westbrook is the main the three main things I think the Wizards need to do going forward. Yeah, I think they need to find a new coach that is more oriented oriented towards that goal too of. Um, developing the young guys. Uh, obviously, you're not going to do that. Brad Beal and Russell Westbrook are still there. But I-, I could see them still wanting to run this out. I could see Terry Stotts, who just got moved on from the Portland Trailblazers. His next job could be the Washington Wiz- Wizards. Um, again, Scott Brooks hasn't been fired, but I could see them firing and hiring him. And then all of a sudden, you guys are the Blazers in the Eastern Conference, just a lot worse. And then that runs its course until eventually they give up. I think we're on a crash course that eventually the the losing will get to Brad Beal. I think he's been satisfied for now since they made that Westbrook trade. And it seems like they have a pretty good relationship. And he sees Westbrook as a good leader. And again, they made the playoffs, but eventually there's going to be unsatisfied. Eventually, uh, Westbrook's not going to be, um, Westbrook or is going to be a guy that you can, he's already not a guy that you can like look at and say he's going to carry us into the playoffs. So, or in the playoffs. So, um, again, that's why I said I, I think it blowing up. I, I, I am a huge, um, endorser of when you don't have one of the top, like, teams that's going to compete for a finals. If you look at your team and say, Hey, we're going to make the first the playoffs and we're going to lose in the first round every year. Like there's no point. I, I think that blowing up, blowing it up and getting what you can to rebuild is probably the play. And I think there's a little bit of an extremist there, but I, I personally am of the opinion that like being in that middle ground is not ideally, unless you're, unless you're a team that's only cares about saying we made the playoffs and, and that's how they're going to sell tickets. I, I personally don't want to be ever be in that like middle ground where you could be one year you're the 10th seed, the next year you're the 8th seed. 
but you don't see any like real improvement or success and you kind of um you kind of like just center out or uh stabilize at that spot and i never want to be the uh, team that's i either want to be at the bottom with a clear future uh being built or being at the top which is where everybody wants to be yeah it is a dangerous place being in that middle ground and it's but you know at the end of the day it's a superstar driven league and you can draft really well the best you can but ultimately unless you do get one of those tippy top superstars like a Luca or even maybe even a Trey Young in the draft you're really not it's really only going to take you so far even if you end up getting a John Morant or a Zion Williamson obviously there's just no guarantee that those guys are going to be able to elevate your franchise at least right away but, you know, uh, going down the future, I, I'm just holding out hope that the Nets uh, eventually are going to blow up and that big three is not going to work out. And then where's Kevin Durant going to come? He's going to come home to D.C. and play with us. So then we'll have Bradley Beal. Hopefully Russell Westbrook will be gone out of there. And Kevin Durant. And who's going to stop th- that two, those two? So we'll start winning championships at that point. So I'm just going to hold out for a couple more years on that. But on that note, we're going to just about close out this show. Uh, one final uh, shout out to the Butler man himself, uh, a former alumni at our school, Brad Stevens, on getting fired from the Boston Celtics as their head coach, but then getting hired as their team president or uh, as one of the big roles in the front office. How did that move even happen? Um, I mean, he got promoted I think what had happened, Danny Ainge just finally stepped down from the Boston Celtics, which is something that he probably should have done a couple of years ago, but he really wanted to see this, uh, this last like iteration of them, uh, play out. But, um, Brad Stevens, he seems to be, uh, exhausted with coaching recently. This, these, uh, Celtics teams have really taken a toll on him. So his, his decision was to move into the front office as the new president of basketball ops. Which I think is probably more work, but um, I mean, it's something different. So maybe that's what he's looking for. I don't think it's the last time he'll be coaching um, either in the NBA or in college basketball in the near future. But for now, he's moved into a, the, the the head front office role. Danny Ainge is out. And I mean, uh, again, we haven't seen the end of Brad Stevens' coaching career, but uh, good for him. He's looking for a change. He's been a little exhausted. And, you know, now he's, he's in a position where he's got more power. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does this offseason. Um, being the former coach, what players uh, – we'll see what players he liked, what player he doesn't, what the moves he makes. Yeah, definitely. And it was very interesting that they were able to get rid of Danny Ainge or whether or not it was his decision or, or not. Uh, what kind of remains to be seen how, how all that – We'll kind of see in the future how all that played out. But basically, Danny Ainge has been regarded as one of the best front office executives in the league for several years now. And I just don't think that's necessarily true. He always did a great job of stockpiling assets, and that's why he was so praised around the league. But then when it really came down to it, he was never able to turn those assets into anything. Uh, Of course, he did make some great trades, though, like trading Markel Fultz for Jason Tatum. That has really worked out huge. But again, they just weren't ever able to put a championship team Team out there on the floor and then Brad Stevens was never able to coach up the uh, 
closest thing he had to a championship caliber team up to that level. He's always been better when he's had an underdog, more of a scrappy team than a team that goes in as the favorites. But I think it was kind of a failure on those two that they were never able to win a title together, considering they had guys like Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving all playing together with uh, other guys with a good supporting cast for a while. So I think it'll be a very welcome change of sight for the Celtics. They had to do something because I just don't think Danny Age and Brad Stevens were getting it done. So now you try um, Brad Stevens in the booth or in the front office. And I think this should work well because he knows the team so well. It'll at least be a few years that he's there, but I could definitely see him doing this for three years and then kind of getting tired of it because this job is going to be a lot more work than a head coaching job. And it might not even be as rewarding too, because you don't get to build that those type of relationships with the players. It's a different type of relationship you have uh, when you're in the front office than when you're their actual head coach. So I'm not sure if it really is going to be the thing for Brad Stevens, who's been coaching ever since he uh, finished his playing days. I could definitely see him ended up a whether he's with the NBA or with the college team as another head coach. But for now, uh, credit to him for getting fired up, essentially. And I think that's pretty much all we have for you here today. Uh, you can check us out on our socials uh, on Twitter. We are at the OTW pod and on TikTok, We are just off the waivers. Uh, our next show is going to be an MLB one. That'll be this Monday. Uh, where we uh, talk about everything that's happened in the past couple of weeks on the baseball world. And then we start to get into some of our other segments too, like our Oof of the Week. That'll all be in our MLB segment. Uh, anything you will like to add or any closeouts, Eric? Nope. Um, just check us out on our socials. Again, uh, if you have anything you want to ask us or maybe some suggestions for our podcast, you can hit us up there. Um, I think that's going to do it for me. I think this has been a good uh, pod. I think we could talk about some good stuff. Um and uh, I'm excited to see you back on Monday when that will be. Yep. Keep watching the NBA playoffs. Uh, thank you for all for listening. Peace out.